0: Hi, this is Mike from the Stop, and you're listening to me on the Midwest Garden Podcast.
1: I got a question for you, Scott. Yes, Mike. Now... You're the technocrat. You're—I you, mean, I'm looking in this studio right here, and you know what everything does and what everything belongs to. The only thing I don't understand is, um, we've got listeners. It says downloads. It says uh, how many hits, whatever. What does all this mean? It means we have some
2: listeners, Mike. Okay. And the first thing we need to do is thank our listeners because people have asked. You and me, I know, when are you going to stop doing this podcast? And I say, when the numbers go static, you know. Yeah. And yeah. But the numbers keep growing. So,
1: you know. Well, I, does what, that mean we know what we're talking about? Or, or does, Are we interesting? Are we something that they want to listen to? All of the above, apparently. Oh, gosh.
2: We fooled them again, my friend. We fooled them again. Don't
1: tell too many people. <laughs>
2: Anyway, but so Mike and I would like to thank everybody that's been paying attention to us for the past, uh, we're on season three now. We're about 10 or so
1: episodes into season three. And, uh, you know. I'm, I'm impressed from what you just got done saying. I mean, all I did was ask a question here. And it sounds and it looks, if you're telling me everything that's here, that people appreciate us. They really like us. Well, they appreciate us. I don't know if they like us yet. Okay, fine. (laughs) Well, what do we got going today?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I wanted to do a a hosta show because uh, we get hostas in all the time and they're never the same. There's so many dang varieties out there. And I think they call them the, the friendly perennial or the friendly plant because, A, they're easy and you can give them as like a housewarming gift and people, you know, will thrive with them with no big deal. But
1: I don't know anything about hostas. Well, I know a little bit about them. I mean, you can pop them and drop them. I had a lady show me how to split them and then take them and drop them anywhere else. And they they, they thrive. I mean, you can beat them up. So with our limited knowledge, what do we always say? <laughs> Ask someone who knows. Ask someone sake. who
2: knows. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring in Mike from the hosta stop.
0: Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, this is um, Mike, uh, Mike Easy from the hosta stop. Uh, we're located in central Wisconsin. We give several tours a year. I work with youth groups and, uh, you know, the kidney gardeners, or they do school trips here. And then I turn around and uh, make sure every kid gets to hosta. Oh. I have uh, a, a great passion for hostas. How do you not like a hosta? It's the number one perennial in the world. I've been selling hostas for about nine years now, but my passion really started... 20-some years ago when my wife and kids were rummage-sailing and brought home uh, a cardboard flat full of hostas. And I instantly fell in love with them. You can, they're drought-tolerant. Uh, you give them an inch of rain or water a week, and they just thrive. So it's a, a, a perfect bulletproof plant, I call it.
2: And But this is not your main Job. This is almost uh, a hobby store, if I could use uh,
0: that. That is correct. I I am a maintenance technician for Mariani. Uh, we uh, dry cranberries here in Wisconsin, but it's the uh, number one provider of dried fruit in the world. Uh, they do the two scoops for catalogs.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. So everybody, yeah, uh, Mike is from the Hasa Stop in Wisconsin. Um, And I know, let's let them talk about that for a little bit, because I know they're going to be opening for the season coming up uh, here in April, April 9th. Um, So, Mike, uh, hit us up a little bit about your shop.
0: Uh, Right now we're running three greenhouses. Uh, We feature over a thousand varieties of hostas available at any given point in time. They're on the shelf. Uh, Come spring, when the ground thaws and all our presentation beds and propagation beds come in the line, I can offer up to, I think I'm at around 3,000 varieties.
1: Yeah, I want to be pinched, but you just got done saying it's the number one perennial in the world and that you've got three greenhouses, but you've got 1,000 varieties?
0: That are potted and ready to go. Uh, No kidding. I have a... You know, uh, we, right now there's probably uh, we're we've been moving houses left and right for the past three days, uh, getting ready for April 9th when we open, and uh, we have uh, quite a selection because they they come in every variety. You know, what I mean, from big blues that get up
1: to four feet tall and okay. Thank you. Now you do carry these. The 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 four footers yep. or the five footers. There was one. Um. Oh gosh. I was. Look. We were doing homework, and there was one that got up to four and a half feet tall. Most of these came from, let's just say, uh, the 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 east, the far east, like Japan, China, Southwest, Southeast Asia. That scenario. Um. The 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 largest one you said can get up to four feet. Well, there's some debate
0: in the industry. You have like Empress Wu. Yeah. Uh, That one will go as high as five feet high or four feet high and then five feet around. But then you have a uh, humpback whale. They're saying they're the biggest cause they're six feet across and four feet high.
1: But are these guys as finicky? Most people, the way that I learned hostas was just basically, you know, 40 years ago where if anybody wanted one, we'd go to grandma's backyard, pop one out, split it and then take it. Now, I mean, you can't do that with the Empress Wu or the, the, the four footer that's got the leaves that are as large as I am in height. Um, How do you transplant these guys or how do you, uh, you for instance, something that's already been established?
0: Well, there's several ways. The industry has changed quite a bit. Um, Several years ago, there was only a handful of hostas available. And, you know, I have to laugh because I call one of them the Wisconsin hosta because it was around every barn, every silo, every house. And uh, times have changed a lot. You can... They are propagating through tissue culture now so they can mass produce any given variety and make it uh, cost-effective for everybody to have that host
1: of them. Now, these cultivars, meaning that, uh, are these something that, uh, is it like genetic modification or is this, uh, you know, cross-pollinization when they do, they they, they call them uh, hostile lilies for a reason, but I mean, to get these 3,000 varieties or this 1,000 varieties that you personally have, um, do you do any breeding of these things? Well, it's actually
0: called hybridization. And, uh, yes, I compete nationally. Every year there is a competition to see who can create the most unique or different hosta. And a lot of times that's uh, eliminating the bee from doing the process of making the 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 seed and the plant, you actually take the pollen off one plant or a plant that you desire to put some of the traits back into something else and actually physically um, hybridize that, that other plant, the female part and collect the seed in the fall and plant it out. I plant hostas all year round.
1: My goodness. How many greenhouses do you have? Three. I have
0: three, three, three greenhouses, but I have a grow room um, in, in the pole shed that has in floor heating. So in November I can dry out all these seeds and we, we start planting, um, mainly for myself. Uh, I, I deal a lot with streakers. Um, you have some people that are really big and trying to get red into the plants yeah. and they have come leaps and bounds in the past several years. You've got red leaves. To, do I have some red leaves? Yes, it, I do.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Well, they're oh, not a true red. It's uh, like a burgundy color into the green, but it's definitely a characteristic, and it's different than any other hostile. It's
1: unique. At one time, the only ones that, uh, let's say Black Diamond, Midwest, Toledo, Ohio, would carry, or most of them would carry, would be like Francie, Patriot, Invincible, and Pearl Lake. Now, uh, some of them are going to have variegation to it. Patriot, for instance, is going to be like a yellow, or a white, and a green.
0: You are exactly right, you uh, I call it the Patriot series because there's Patriot, Minuteman, there's several of that. And sure. they're always white and green. Some are the medial, so it's the center is white and the outside edge is green. But like you said, the Patriot is a, a dark green one with a white edge. But that's kind of a, a medium hosta.
1: Yeah, it doesn't get you much know, bigger than about it, a foot and a half in diameter. And then the height is going to be about correct. 8 inches, 10 inches with the, with the, with the lily stem. Now they're gonna they're gonna uh, flower sometime any time between May and uh, let's say September. It depends on the cultivar, what you play with. Um, let's get backtrack a little bit. You ended up becoming addicted to this because you know your your wife and children came back with some, and you just ended up going haywire with this.
0: You you are correct, and and when we she brought them home, we planted them, and you can divide a hosta uh, to propagate it. That was the old fashioned way. So I cut split and divided hostas, uh, the 10 varieties I had that basically encompassed my yard. And I was giving them away to anybody that wanted them. That's why they call it the friendship plant. Um, it, cause it's a plant that just keeps on giving and giving and giving. I have one that's original, uh, to the homestead. That is probably 50 years old.
1: Wow. Wow, that's cool. I mean, are you able yeah, to take any was... pollen to cross pollinate with that fifty year old hosta, or does it grow in in like rhizomes or clusters, like a um, oh like a yucca plant where you'll get crowns coming out, or even a, a, a little hens and chicks? Have you split that one, or how did you propagate it?
0: Well, that's an older variety, and it's not um, in as high demand as some of these uh, designer hostas are. I would call them. Um, that is just like Honeybells is just a very fragrant. All green hosta, but very large, and it, it um, actually attracts the deer right out of the yard when it comes into full bloom. So they must really like the way it smells.
1: Now, see, I did not know hostas would smell have a fragrance to them. Uh, are there certain oh, yeah, ones that don't, and certain ones that do?
0: Yep, there is uh, several varieties. General, generally, uh, the the lighter or the white flower will be scented, and there there must be I don't know. 40, 50 different varieties that all have a white scented flower.
1: They're in town here. I did some research. We used to have hosta societies that they would basically, they, they, well, I don't want to say they would pretend, they knew more than we would ever forget. Um, <laughs> basically, cater to them or how, that. And then the other question I have is how are you able to acquire, oh, uh, let's say, people that are companies that you were able to sell to?
0: Um, I do no wholesaling. I don't sell to any companies. It's all uh, mail order or drive right in and pick out what you want. The HASA societies, we have uh, two different banquets. Oh, each, I, I, I should take that back. Every area usually has its own HASA society. But then there's an annual or a American HASA society, which is the forefront organizer and leader of HASAs. And so they have a convention once a year. And if you ever had a chance, that's, you know, 450 people. That's all they do is eat, breathe, and sleep pastas.
1: And do you go to these conventions?
0: Love them conventions. <laughs> uh, been going, been going for quite a while, and now I am a vendor at all these sites because um, uh, it works hand-in-hand with my business. So I go ahead and load up trailers and take them there, and I offer my plants to everybody.
1: Michael, this is really, really cool. Um I really didn't think I took for granted that a hosta was a hosta. Uh, the the bluer the better. Can you tell me the conditions? I mean, I know that that hostas will grow in sunny areas. Uh, it just depends. It won't grow in a desert where gravel is very well. But if you give or accommodate what it needs, it will grow. But the solid leaves. What the research that I've done before we we had this discussion with you. Um, the blue ones, the green ones, the full, the solid leaves will not tolerate full direct sunlight all day. It has to be more of a, a variegated color, like the white that or is, the yellow?
0: That is correct. Uh, generally speaking, that all your blue hostas have a wax on them. Um, that wax helps protect them. You can get away with planting into indirect sunlight, but they are more tolerant to be in the shade so that wax doesn't burn off and it keeps that deep, deep blue color. And you are correct with uh, your lighter color, yellows and white variegation, they will tolerate the sun a lot more.
1: Now, being that they will tolerate the sun a lot more, are there any predators other than slugs, which I know uh, just adore the hostas and deer, other than those two critters, are there any other, Now, let's say, Uh, insects or anything like kids on bicycles that ride by and on top of them that's going to be a predator to this plant.
0: No, you hit the the top two there with uh, slugs and um, the deer. Uh, The house itself is pretty much indestructible. I came across one article where they suggested stomping. So they wait until the pips come out in the spring, and they stomp them back into the ground forcing this hosta all it wants to do is survive and it shoots up a new flush twice as big and that many more to proclaim its spot back so i don't suggest stomping on a hosta
1: (laughs) but you don't want to pamper it either
0: nope they they are a bulletproof plant um in, in my beginning years I used to tease the roots apart and really take a lot of time. Yeah. And we have come to know that I think hostas like a little bit of abuse. We, we dig them up uh, any time of the year. There's not a good time or a bad time. A lot of people like to do it in the spring um, because they're not wrecking any of that foliage. Because um, once a leaf is damaged, you're looking at it all year. But that leaf provides such a vital importance to the plant. That's how it gets all its energy to go into fertilization, which is uh, sleeping during the winter. That's why they do so well in the Midwest. They love our cold winters.
1: Now, they store their energy in the crown of the plant, right? That's below the ground.
0: That is correct.
1: The energy that they store, they utilize to, to allow the plant's leaves to pop up the following season. Now, right now, I'm noticing, among other things, the hostas coming up, or at least the foliage on it, and they're coming up like a little bit of a corkscrew. Um, they'll open up progressively and gradually, but when it gets really, really cold, they stop. When it starts to get warm, they start to open up a little bit further. Uh, how do you recommend avoiding—I'm going to go back to the predators—avoiding getting any damage from the slug or the deer? Let's start with the slug. What Do you recommend mulch? I've been telling people not to put mulch down underneath of their hostas or anywhere, the areas where you're going to have a hosta, because it provides a haven for the slug or other subterranean insects that like to come out during the nighttime and go munch, munch, munch. What do you recommend?
0: Well, I've I've been asked a lot of times uh, questions such as that. a, A person will come to me and say, I have holes in my hosta. Before I let them go any further, I will go, do you have mulch, wood chips, stone, cocoa beans, anything underneath that plant, and 99% of the time they say yes. Then I explain to them, that is a harborage for slugs. Yeah. And if you ever want to see if you have a slug problem, go ahead and take a small saucer or cut the bottom off of a can, bury that level with the ground, fill that with beer, and if you have slugs, it'll be full of slugs in the morning.
1: Those are the slugs that don't have 12-step programs to follow, um, and they should. <laughs> Does diatomaceous earth work well on that? Do you know that?
0: I, I personally don't have any sort of, I've gotten rid of all my mulch and I have free range chickens. No. So the chickens walk around and they clean up anything that I may have missed.
1: <laughs> now that's super. I, I mean, uh, they provide also, now those are great insecticides too. Do to you utilize their fertilizers, their nutrients that they buy product? I mean, do you rake it up, put it in something and use it again?
0: Well, it, you know, there's certain the plant will thrive, but doesn't necessarily need fertilizer. Okay. I suggest to anybody that is one of my clients or comes here. I use Milorganite, which is a high iron fertilizer with no burn, which is very, very, very beneficial to the plant. They will tolerate some 10-10-10. The problem with 10-10-10, if you get one grain of potash into the crown or in the the center of the plant, that could potentially cause crown rot and kill your plant.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, At 12, 12, 12, 10, 10, 10, anything that's an immediate release, does the nitrogen do any burning to it also?
0: Um, I haven't seen the plant sustain that that initial growth. Uh, They kind of like the nitrogen. I've played around a little bit. Uh, In my beginning years, I thought I was, being beneficial and I'd make it rain fertilizer and you could hear it hitting the plants. And I was actually uh, causing more damage. So I use no 10, 10, 10 or, or, or multi, you can use a slow release a slow release. Osmocote uh, is far more beneficial because it feeds the plant all summer long.
2: Sounds like malorganite is the way to go.
0: I love Uh It has some benefactors, uh, Some people swear that it keeps the deer away. It may or may not. Uh, I have several acres of hostas in my propagation and display beds, and I have deer. (laughs) They come in and they eat whatever they like sometimes. But again, it doesn't hurt the hosta.
1: It sounds like it's a nice garnish for it, but I've heard other people too. At Scott's store, they used to buy it in quantity, and they didn't. I'm sure there's micronutrients in there like the iron, manganese, boron, uh, but when it really deals down to is that when, it doesn't smell very good at all, um, and the deers have a deers. The deer have a very very sensitive sense of smell. You don't utilize any type of a liquid fertilizer like these. Uh, the ones that you go one tablespoon per gallon of water, which are water soluble, you don't recommend that.
0: I use that when they're in a seedling or immature stat status. Uh, it's very beneficial to the plant and. The best one I've come to find is uh, tomato, water-soluble fertilizer. And uh, that works fantastic for the plant. And I use it at a a reduced amount, I think one tablespoon for a five-gallon bucket. Really? And, yep, I'll use that on all my seedlings. And uh, I think right now we got like 400 seedlings growing in the grow room right now. Uh, per evaluation because it'll take up to four years for that plant to mature and stop um changing, you know, each year. So it's, it's a long time uh, invested in to creating or making a new hosta. Uh, there, there, there are sport hunters, which uh, is kind of fun. And it, what it is, is During this tissue culture propagation, we end up with a different plant that is not characteristic to the other plants. And uh, my friends over in Minnesota, Gene and Jerry, they have come up with a sport they found that they call Eye of the Tiger now. It does not look like anything of the mother plant. The mother plant was Lakeside Paisley Print, uh, which is a very beautiful plant. But their plant is uh, all dark green, a little curly leaf with a solid White singular stripe down the center, very unique. And I uh, I am fortunate enough to be friends with them, and I have uh, put that into the lab so I can make it available for everybody now.
1: People can order these by contacting you at at, at your facility, correct? But you don't sell to the big stores. That is sto- correct. You don't sell to the big stores. Uh, they- I'll just put,
2: I'll have all that in the show notes. I can't People, hear. Okay. The, so they can click right there.
1: So. Perfect. Perfect. An interesting thing here, this is in Japanese, it's also called, how many different names do you have for them? I mean, there's a goboshi that they call it, Um, what was it that they called it, it wasn't a hosta lily, it was uh, another name, because I know that they eat this too.
2: I was just going to say, as a pop quiz, Oh. that um, young hosta leaves are edible. It's big, <laughs> They're considered a delicacy. Big thing in Japan. Commonly boiled. Yeah, they
0: they call it like uri, uri or something.
2: Yeah. like Yeah, U R U I, and the flavor is similar to lettuce or asparagus.
1: And you know, some people really don't like asparagus. Well, so tell them it's really they, good. Then it's lettuce like lettuce. Like. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, there was another name. Oh, I gosh. tell
0: everybody if you put enough butter and salt on it, you can eat anything.
1: Well, that or that a one sauce. Um. Okay, what did you call it? You called it Yuri. It was called Giboshi, G I B O S H I, or Asparagacea, A S P A R A G A C E A. That's the genus. Now, is that in any shape related to asparagus?
0: No, not at all. Not okay, that I know. I didn't of.
1: think so. The Hosta Lily has become anything from really unique, itty bitty, teeny weeny, wrinkly little leaves where the plant doesn't get any bigger than maybe about 8 to 10 inches in height and diameter, to the huge ones. What are you finding that's the most popular?
0: Well, you know, the industry is changing all the time. But uh, 15 years ago, uh, uh, the Tierra family was considered uh, a small hosta. Well, they have come leaps and bounds again, and there are miniatures now that they don't get any bigger than a baseball, um, very small, tight, compact uh, that I call micro hostas. Uh, the advantage of that is a person can collect and have that many more plants in a smaller space. Um, not everybody is available or has uh, large bass gardens or borders they want to do with hostas. Obviously, you're not going to be putting a four foot hosta into a pot and carrying it around. So, but they they have all different sizes and, and and we strongly suggest working with the customer and finding out exactly what they want. Um, so we'll plant bigger hostas to the back and you can almost terrace or landscape it right down to these micros or mini hostas in the front. Uh, my favorite hosta is, is probably one of the sports that we found. Um, it's, uh, we call it Aw Snap. My wife named it. It came out of sugar snap, but mine is a only white-edged cupper with uh, scented flowers and gets quite large. Absolutely stunning plant, and uh, that that's that's going to be our trademark for for years to come. That that plant came out of our gardens. All snap, yep.
1: All snap. And the only and- reason
0: she called that is uh, it came out of the mother plant was sugar snap which was one of Mark Zillis's plants, and uh, we ended up finding the sport out of that, and we cultivated it for several years, um, propagated it the old-fashioned way, cut and split, and I took it to a show and competed, and everybody that saw it, and it did win, uh, they said, you have to put this in development so all of us can enjoy it, and that's what we did a couple years ago.
1: What's the perfect soil for this?
0: Uh, they prefer a light, loamy soil. Um, a lot of times when I tell people when they're planting pastas, I'll dig a hole twice the size, and it depending on your soil, because some of my clients are high clay, um, and some of my clients are, are uh, sandy-based. And then I like, which is readily available to everybody, and I use a mushroom compost that you can pick up at Lowe's or Home Depot, any of these big box stores, and I, I mix that with the soil, dig that hole twice the size of the pot, and I'll make an anthill inside. It, the best way to describe it, an anthill inside that hole that the tip of the anthill is level with the ground, break that hosta apart, spread them roots, because they don't like to go deep. They would rather broadcast left to right horizontally. And I'll lay that on top of that hill, bring back some of that amended soil. That plant is good to go. It'll, It'll, it'll thank you. And leaps and bounds on how it'll grow, and th- and that's another thing they call it the uh, creep or sleep, creep and leap. So your first year that hosta doesn't seem like it's doing much, uh, and sometimes depending on the variety, it just stays there. Your second year it starts to creep and and gets acclimated to where its new home is, and the third year it, it, it doubles in size, and it keeps going that way. I planted uh, one of my blue angels in a spot and. Right now, it encompasses half the sidewalk. It gets so large, and it's kind of a trademark. We just leave it there because it's been—it's absolutely stunning, and I don't want to move it because <laughs> uh, it is. Well, it take two men and a small boy to try and pull that plant out because the rip ball right now is probably three feet across and probably eighteen inches to two feet deep. Well, that's um, what—that's quite a what was wondering. To pull that plant up.
1: Well, what's the best size to? purchase or to acquire the the hosta see most places sell them in either you know six inch pots one gallon containers three gallon containers and sometimes five and it also depends on the 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 garden center not the garden center but the nursery that's growing them uh do they survive just as easily and is it best to start small and let them get you know to know the area or is it best to get something big so you get that immediate gratification but it stays that way for three years
0: and I offer both plants. I offer an Im- immature plant that some people want to let it grow and develop in its own spot. But and again, I offer field grown hostas, which are several years old already, instant gratification. That plant won't suffer uh, the transplant itself. Be it as hardy as they are, I, I think you could grow them on top of the sidewalk and it'd still survive.
1: Yeah, we've got people that are customers that come in, and when they find the perfect little hosta, it's as if it's one of their own children. They'll bring it, they'll take care of it, they'll tend to it, and it's like, oh, they're so giddy. But again, the the, the selection is so limited um, that people generally do not uh, have access to it because now, like Scott said, he's going to give off the address and how to acquire these. But on on your acquisition, if I were to buy something from you, what is the average size and cost of your hostas? Can you go that route?
0: Um, generally speaking, I would have to say the general cost is anywhere from 13 to 16 dollars. Uh, that's all your production or more common hostas. But I am kind of unique in the way that I am a collector and have collected from several other collectors. And I have high end hostas, uh, I call them, and they can go in the upwards of five and six hundred dollars per Whoa. plant.
1: So, wow! Now, but you have clients and customers for those, right? I do. See, now that's 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 cool. That, that's cool. C- can you repeat that again so I can pinch myself and see that I heard that right?
0: <laughs> well, several years ago, uh, there was a house that came up on auction, and it was called Wally Hoover's Bullfrog, and <laughs> I bid on it right up to a point that okay, I have to let it go, and I absolutely fell in love with this hosta, wanted it for my collection, which was kind of funny because it's a, a sterile plant, so you can't use it for hybridizing, but it was such a unique plant. Uh, the man that found that was Wally Hoover, who was, um, I would say, a local resident. Uh, it's only 20 minutes from my house. and I visited with this man uh, several times and he's passed away now, but that plant uh, went into production and did not, take tissue culture so it was only way to acquire wally's bullfrog was to have a piece of his plant and i ended up getting a piece from uh, new jersey believe it or not wally himself lost his original plant uh and didn't have it there when i went there to see if he had it
1: so you made a trip special trip out there to go and see if he had the plant and you were able to get some Uh, tissue
0: uh, Wally was a great person to visit with he can tell you like you said they know more and than I will ever know um and it, it was a, a a great day visiting with with Wally
1: yeah it's all relative I can imagine but uh, now how much did that plant cost at auction or yeah at auction
0: uh that still draws anywhere between four and five hundred dollars anytime it's offered and I've, uh, Yep. And I have, a, I have a couple of them growing. Um, but there's, there's several out there. Um, probably the most expensive one, I think it's called super Eagle and I paid in upwards of a thousand dollars for that. Basically to have it for a bloodline, uh, breeding stock.
1: Okay. That's I, an investment. I was going to say, Scott, your wife's in the wrong business. They, they've got to go so, somewhat similar to what Mike's doing here. Uh, that is definitely an investment. Now, do you still have? Do you still have the parent plant?
0: Yep, I, I still have that plant. Uh, and, and like you said, you you nurture it the best you can. You watch it. Uh, you you put fences around it to keep the deer away from it. Uh, ironically, I'll have uh, I don't know. I have some five thousand plants in ground in all my display beds. And if you picked one plant that you did not want to get damaged or hurt. I swear to, that the deer would walk right out of the woods and eat that plant. <laughs> Murphy's law. Yes.
1: Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not in shock. I'm just bait. Well, I guess I am in shock. Do you do cloning at all? Now people are just starting to get into that up here for a multitude of different reasons. And there's cloning gels. There's cloning powders. For instance, great, great, great grandmother used to walk around the neighborhood, cute little old lady with a little bag And she'd walk around the neighborhood and pinch off little flowers and take a sniff and go, oh, how sweet, and drop it in a bag. What she would then do is there was a cloning powder that she had, and it's called Rootone. Put a fresh cutting on it, dip it in there, put it in, like, maybe some water or soil. It depends on what worked best for them. And it would start to perform or shoot out roots. Do you have something similar? Do you do that, or is there something that's an old-time, you know— The school, old school way of doing this.
0: Well, the hosta is unique in that way that it it is not susceptible to that type of propagation. You cannot just cut a leaf off. You have to have a piece of that crown. And these uh, tissue culture labs where I had to send my hosta into to create more of them will actually go down into that crown and get the inner parts of that And they have rooting hormones and propagation hormones that, through test tubes, they can create more of that identical plant through the labs. So this is a DNA
1: thing. This is a DNA thing. Basically, through the
0: DNA of the plant.
1: Deoxyribonucleic acid. I'll be darned. This is far more technical than what I thought. I mean, but see, now you've been uh, been doing this for how long again?
0: I've been collecting for 25-plus years. Okay. Um, I've been selling for about nine years now.
1: And how long before you felt comfortable selling this?
0: The, the best part of selling hostas is I get to buy hostas and get to keep one for myself in my collection. So it was a natural uh, point to collect hostas so I could offer them to everybody my hidden agenda was I get to keep a hosta for myself and for my own collection. <laughs> I love that.
1: You know, yeah, there's a motive and a method behind the madness, but still, um, Scott, I, let me ask you, I'm going I'm to ask Scott this. I think he's a closet hosta person. Me? Yeah, you.
2: I know nothing about them. That,
1: well, you did your research and he came upon Mike here and, I'm more or less interested now too, but I, I, are there zones, certain zones that these things can grow in that, that basically, you know, it'll tolerate better. In other words, I don't want to take a host and take it down to Florida and hope it was going to grow well. Um, but then again, I don't want to take it to the Arctic regions of mid to upper Canada and hope it's good because the season's not going to be long enough for it. Or is it?
0: Well, what, what, Believe it or not, I do have some customers down in Texas.
1: No.
0: He personally will take that hosta and put it into a cool or a dormancy, which the hosta needs to regenerate that that crown, let the leaves die back. He actually puts it in a cooler for, I think he said, six to eight weeks, pulls that plant back out. The problem with your southern states, that's why they do so well in the Midwest. We have such cold winters, which the hosta appreciates. Again, they like the abuse. Uh, they generally, the further south you go, the smaller the hosta plant is. And the, and the reason is is they're getting too much light, too much sunlight. Gotcha. Even, even in the shade, their growing season is so hot and so intense, the hosta only grows as large as it needs to, to sustain itself. Uh, hence, when you plant it in the shade... It's growing bigger and bigger and bigger to collect as much sunlight and nutrients as it needs to thrive, um, and it's absolutely again number one perennial in the world, is the hosta.
2: That makes sense.
1: It's not. I from what I've discovered. Now correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike. The variegated is going to grow in the shade and or the sun. But the more sun you give it, the less color the variegation is going to be. In other words, if it's going to be in the shade and growing, you're going to have a nice yellow variegation with uh, the deeper, darker green. But when you take it outside into the middle of the sunlight, and it's always going to be outside, what am I talking about? But the more sunlight you give it, the less color or less vibrant yellow is going to be out of that?
0: Sure, that's the process of photo. Photosization, where you're you're basically bleaching out the plant with all the sunlight. Uh, they they prefer the shade, and you'll get your truer and more distinct colors in the the deeper the shade. Um, don't get me wrong; they do like a certain amount of light. Uh, we're finding that the hostas are tolerating more sunlight than what once was believed, but uh, they do do very well in the shade. And and part of our business, we have several uh, plants. You know your Hoosherah, you know, with uh, the corabells and stuff like that, which adds color and that little pop um, to your Hasa gardens. So it's uh, they all work hand in hand.
1: You're going more so for variegation and color distinction, aren't you? In other words, I've seen pictures on the—when we were doing our research, and I'm going gaga over this, you've got the deep blues, light blues, you've got the silver grays, you've got the silver blues, you've got the deep dark green, you've got the huge, almost like an elephant ear, leaves to them. You've got the really tiny crinkled ones too, but they're all uh, mixed in to give you probably a montage of decent color that I think you couldn't get elsewhere with anything in a deep dark shaded area. Yeah, you're going to get some sunlight in those areas, but not a whole bunch. So you're saying that the larger the leaf, uh, the more sun that they're going to be reaching for. So in other words, you want to force it to to reach out for sunlight.
0: Correct. Well, that that's just the general. Um, hosta itself trying to survive. Um, Probably one of the most unique plants out there right now that's readily available to everybody is called uh, White Feather. So when this hosta emerges in the spring, it is pure white. Um, Fantastic, but with all plants to uh, maintain and create photosynthesis, it has to turn green. So that whiteness is uh, a temporary and it actually morphs out, and, and you can actually see the green bleed through the plant. And uh, by midsummer, that plant is all green, uh, preparing itself for fall and spring again.
2: An albino, but it comes up pure white. An albino hosta.
0: An albino hosta. And there are several varieties. Uh, white stripe is out there, white tiger, uh, white feather. Um, but they all do about basically the same thing. Um, some of your more fancier hostas are still coming out of Japan. Uh, they they are still finding new genesis every year, growing up on mountainside. Um, one of the most unique ones that I found or, and have in my collection now is called Mitnohana, uh, which is a white or a, it's an all green hosta with white stripes down every vein. Uh, makes it a very unique and um, different different hosta. When you start collecting and getting into um, these more rarities, uh, they, they don't have any of the characteristics of the what I call the Wisconsin hosta, which was a Francie or the Unduliatas, which were around every barn, every silo, every house, every walkway. Um it, it is changing. And there there are design designer hostas and collectors out there now.
2: We're getting close to time here, Mike, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners your favorite or um, most important piece of information that can help them grow and be successful with their hostas.
0: The best thing you could probably do is don't be intimidated by a hosta. Uh, It is a bulletproof, uh, forgiving plant that you can cut, divide, give to your friends, it's a, a absolutely fantastic plant. Nothing to be intimidated by. Uh, well, you don't other than anywhere. spending
1: $5,000 for one, I'd be intimidated putting it in the ground. <laughs> uh,
0: again, that, that is a specialty hosta. And, and why that one is, is so unique, uh, the Empress Wu, the, the largest hosta uh, in production right now, this is a street version of Empress Wu. And hence, uh, Mr. Miller named it Super Eagle. Uh, It's quite a unique hosta. I'm waiting. I'll have to wait several years for mine to get that size and and hope it maintains its streakiness. But uh, it's a great plant for hybridizing.
2: Mike, at the hosta stop, you also, correct me if I'm wrong, also offer like lilies, other things than hostas. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Uh, in our display beds, we have over a thousand daylilies. So, coming uh, mid June when they are in bloom is absolutely breathtaking. We strongly suggest people just to come bring a book. Uh, there are several reading areas, uh, walk in and just visit the gardens. Uh, we're a, a destination more than we are just a stop.
1: Nice, nice. Did, do, are you anywhere near any dells? The reason I'm asking, so since you're 40 minutes away, your soil is probably very, very mountainous rich, right?
0: Uh, mine is very, very sandy. Uh, We're, during the, the glacier movement many, many, many moons ago, uh, the central sands area is exactly where my, my homestead and farm is. And we are uh, highly, high sand. It can rain for three days and three nights, and my soil is still dry. So all my beds are amended. I have to have dirt brought in um, just to benefit the hasa as much as I possibly can
1: yeah, out here we 've got anywhere from uh, beach sand from the glacial movement to bedrock clay being the the floor of the uh, uh, and the compression from the glacial movement. so Michael, I want to thank you so very much for this uh, You've you 've definitely made me somebody that 's is appreciative of it, I know th- and I knew that you could beat them up and they liked it and they basically responded to it. I did not know about the cost and the auctions for certain varieties of them. And I did not know about, like the, like you said, the red or the burgundy color. Now, yeah. uh, the burgundy one, and before we close, on, on an average cost, what and finding something like that, what would it cost? If I were to go... Well,
0: uh, a little... A short history on that plant, when it first came out in tissue culture, I think you couldn't touch that plant for about $75 a piece. As the years go on and more are produced and it's more readily available, I think I offer that plant now for around $17. Um, so each year it came, came down in price. Yep, it's readily available now. Uh, but if you would have bought one several years ago like I did, uh, it was in upwards of, uh, I think it was $75 I paid for that plant several years ago. But I have one of the first, that's with anything. If you want to be the first to have it or, you know, you you pay a premium due to supply and demand.
1: Sure.
0: Um, Again, now that plant is more available. uh, It's it's driven the cost down because they still can produce that plant.
2: So that's like the same as the plant you're developing and everybody's like, oh, we want a part of that. That price eventually will come down as more other uh, hosta greenhouses make it available.
0: That is correct. Um, Right now I am exclusive to Eye of the Tiger and AUSTAF. So I think uh, this year we have them priced at that, that $35, $40 range. Um, I'd like to have everybody to have that plant rather than charge the seventy or seventy-five dollars for that plant um, and, and limit the sales. I I, I think we're price point that everybody can enjoy that plant because who wouldn't love a white edge copper you know with scented flowers? No. And if anybody ever has any questions or wants to look anything up, the Hosta Library on the internet is probably the most comprehensive site out there. That can tell you anything and everything from hybridizing to collection of seeds to planting, how to plant. And uh, there's a HASA finder on there. And I think there's 8,000 um, varieties that are in the library itself. Yeah, the hostas the are, are changing. And, you know, there's probably several varieties that are not even listed yet. You know what I mean? The, every, every hybridizer is trying to create their own. Uh, like I said last year or two years ago was the first time our first was off snap but I have several other ones in development that um, will probably hit the market in a couple of years because they got to go to the lab and go through that whole process again um, but we're we're very fortunate and 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 happy to be in the service that we are
2: mr O'Rourke do you know that one of Mike's customers came in two hundred and fifty miles to pick up hostas for himself and I believe his wife and do you know that they came by plane they
1: had their own their own plane yeah
0: yeah they they flew in on their private plane and drove over here just to buy hostas so that was kind of unique that was last summer but we you know we have a menagerie of customers that come in on motorcycles (laughs) uh and we kind of laugh because they'll Take everything out of their bags and try and get as many hostas as possible into their motorcycle. Um, just just because I offer certain varieties that are unavailable anywhere else. That's awesome.
1: Wow, well, I'm it's mesmerized. I, I I really am. I didn't realize that it was that extensive, that inexpensive, and expensive at the same time, and that easy to drop into the ground and plant again. A company that that I've been familiar with, we've only had about three to five different varieties, and that was it. oh
0: um, uh, your big box stores carry several varieties now, um, but they're not the same plant uh, that that I can offer. You know, these are mostly grown here and loved and cared for. Um, my whole family, both my kids and their spouses. Are involved with the business,
2: ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've been talking with Mike from the Hasa Stop in Plover, Wisconsin. And Mike, thanks so much for all this information. And
0: I appreciate you guys giving me the time. And uh, thanks. And if I can help out with anything else, go ahead, throw me a call. All right, Mike.
1: Michael, you don't know what you just did. Because <laughs> we will. No,
0: I'm. I- I carry my phone 24-7, and uh, there usually isn't any situation I can't work somebody through.
2: Mike, I only have one last thing to say in this episode.
1: Will you say it? Hasta la vista, baby. You've been waiting all this time to say that. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at Your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the garden guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.